Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Well, happy Wednesday night. Welcome to the Gospel of Matthew. Man, we are almost done. We're almost done, we're almost done, we're almost done. Um, Has it been interesting for you to uh, read scriptures maybe you have read or have heard be preached um, actually be looked at within the context uh, that they're spoken in? Right, um, and so that's part of the beauty of just going through this whole gospel. We've been going through it verse by verse by verse, and it's been a few years. And so, it's uh, we're in Matthew 25, and uh, we're almost done. But I'm just so I'm so glad um, that that God's word um, has has power. Um, and that you don't have to turn God's word into something it's not. Amen? To experience the power of it. You don't have to manipulate it. Uh, you don't have to turn it into something it's not. You can read it for what it is and experience the life-giving power that God has just put inside his word. And uh, that's, just, that's just the beauty of it. And I so appreciate uh, the fact that um, we don't have to be experts, that we can just take his word for what it is, amen? And we can invite him into, into our presence. Um, and uh, we know he's gonna show up. And we know even if there are things that we don't understand, that's okay. Uh, we know that his word never returns void. And so even if there are moments and scriptures and passages that go, man, I don't really understand this, right? The best thing we can do is just pray and ask the Holy Spirit, our teacher, right, Um, to help us understand it. But I want you to just, a word of caution, when you don't understand something in the word of God, don't try to turn it into something it's not. Right? Because sometimes we do that. We, we, We turn it into something it's not and we go, oh yeah, that's what this means. Right, just like we studied Matthew 24, um, where uh, people will read that and read the end times, earthquakes and the wars and all sorts of things happening, and they'll go into Revelation and talk about the beast, and they go, "Oh yeah, this beast represents this, you know, helicopter," and it's like, well, maybe, but probably not, you know. Um, anyways, and so we just have to be careful to take God's word for what it is. Um, the simplicity of the word of God is so powerful. Uh, That's why there are moments where you can reread a scripture that you've read numerous times and just the simplicity of the word of God will hit you. And you go, man, I I have not seen that before or that's something I needed for this very season I find myself in today, right? Um, and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. So we're going to be in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And we're going to be a little interactive tonight because the Lord um, allowed his sun to shine on you today. And so hopefully the vitamin D gave you some energy um, and the ability to have some conversation. Because once we read this, I'm actually going to ask you um, what you make of this story. How's that sound? I'm telling you that in advance so that when we read it, you know to look for things. Okay? Does that sound okay? Yeah? All right. Why don't we stand and we'll read this and then um, we'll pray and then you'll help me teach tonight. Amen? Amen? And then if you say something really wrong, I'll call you out in front of everybody. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. (laughs) No. All right. Okay. Um, Matthew 25, verse 14. Here's what it says. Now remember, context, Jesus is teaching his disciples about being prepared uh, for his return. Remember, that's the context, right? And so he's, he's told a few parables, and he's continuing in this theme of telling parables to help illustrate um, the importance of being ready for that time. So he tells another parable. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So whose property is it? It's the man's, it's the master's. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. So what is a talent? It's money. Right there is the word, right? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over the little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man. So his story changes a little bit, eh? I knew you to be a hard man, uh, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his, manser, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where, uh, he says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own notice with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and then he says in verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, are you, are you ready to explain this story to me? Yeah? Okay, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity, this privilege to gather here. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just come and invade our minds, invade our hearts, uh, whatever our days and weeks have looked like and whatever awaits us, Lord, for the remainder of this week. We, we thank you for it. We're blessed, Father, to journey in this life with you. In this moment, God, give us the ability to focus, to concentrate on your word, to hear from you plainly, and Lord, to just receive the power of your word tonight. Lord, we're your students, we're your servants. We know that you are our master. You are our master. And so in the next few moments, Lord, uh, teach us, guide us, expand us, mold us, do what you have to do so that this word, Lord, brings fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As always, if you haven't said hi to somebody around you, welcome them to the house of God. Awesome. All right. You ready? You ready to teach? You, did you take some mental notes down while we were reading through that scripture? Yep. Yeah? All right. So we're going to have some interaction here. If you're watching us online, man, feel free to comment um, what you think of this story, and then we'll, then we'll dive into it and kind of dissect um, this, this story. All right? So what do we think, what do we think this story is? What do we think this story is about? Who, let's just do the basic framework. Who is the master? Who does the master represent? God? Jesus? Yeah? Very good. Okay, we're off to a good start. Uh, who are the servants? Us? Here's a question for you. Do the servants represent all of humanity? All of humanity? Or do the servants represent... Okay? Professing Christians. Professing Christians. Who would agree with that? Yeah? Who would say the servants represent humanity? Who would say, I'm not sure? And that's a totally fine answer as well. 
Okay, some of you didn't put your hand up because you're, you're scared, I think. No need to be afraid. We're going to have a good, we're going to have a good time. Okay, so the master is um, God, absolutely. The servants, okay, um, most likely does not represent all of humanity. Most likely the servants represent professing Christians. Now, how do we... How can we come to that conclusion? Um, well, we know that Jesus, in the parables he's been telling, he keeps bringing this concept of servant, 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 right? A servant is somebody who has a master. Right? Um, part of knowing you're a servant is knowing you have a master. Hello? Right? And so... And so he's talking, remember, to his disciples. And he is trying to prepare them for his return. So remember last week we talked about this idea that um, the point that Jesus was making in his, in his um, parable um, last week is that not all professing Christians are the same. Right? And so he, he talks about, remember, even it, amongst even the house of Israel, if you will, it's considered the house of Israel, right? Even uh, amongst the house of Israel, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, hey, you're hypocrites, right? He would say to them, uh, you are children of hell, and when you make disciples, you also duplicate other children's, children of hell who are you know, twice as much children of hell as you are. In other words, um, you've gotten this thing wrong, and you're making disciples who are also getting this thing wrong. Right? right? Does that make sense? Which, which means that the servants in this parable... Um, most likely are, are professing Christians. Just like last week's parable of the, of the bridemaids. Remember the 10 virgins? Right? All of them, 10 virgins, right? Professing Christians. And yet, not all of them are the same. Some were wise and they took with them oil to wait for the bridegroom. And some were foolish and took with them no oil. Right? Okay. Um, any, any other highlights? Any other thoughts? What we think of this parable? The master, the one who had the one talent, didn't love his master. The one... The one who didn't have... The one who had the one talent didn't love the master because love casts out all fear and the Bible says he was fearful, he was afraid. Interesting observation. Yeah. How many would agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do you think, where do you think um, the guy with the one talent, where do he get his observation? First of all, do you think it's a legitimate claim? So he makes a claim about the master, Right? He says, hey, I knew you to be a hard man. I knew you to, to, to reap where you haven't sown. Right? Now, if you read the parable, does the parable give any clue that what he is saying about the master is true of the master? Right? No. Because the other two servants, the other two servants they have a different response, don't they? They have, a different, they have a different response. What do you think motivated the other two servants? If, if we know fear motivated the guy with the one talent, what do you think motivated the, guy, the two guys who multiplied their talents? Love? Yeah? Faithfulness? Obedience? Yeah. Wisdom? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so what we can gather even from there is what, what Jesus is doing in preparing his disciples for his return um, is that he's making sure that the idea of watchfulness, remember he keeps bringing this idea of, hey, be on watch, watch therefore, be ready therefore, 
right? So the idea of being watchful and being ready isn't camping outside, looking at the sky and waiting for his return. Hello? Being watchful and being ready actually have to do with being obedient and being faithful. Right? Um, does, this, does this scripture, does this story, just question, does it conjure up any sort of like fear within you? Because that's an intense, that's an intense story. Like it starts off, all right, man, there's this generous master, right? He gives these guys talents, which is money, and then he goes away. And then it ends off with the one who buried it, and he ends up being cast out to outer darkness, right? Um, and here's the question, and maybe we can get to that question in just a little bit, and you can ponder it for now. Um, he gave back to the master what the master gave to him. Right? The master gave him the one talent. When the master came back, he said, here, you can have back what is yours. I've preserved it. I've kept it in good condition. You can have it back. And yet, the response of the master. Like you and I, like if we give somebody something, we get it back in good condition. We go, man, thank you so much for taking care of that. We go, you were, you're such a faithful friend. You're such a good friend. Thank you for taking care of that. And yet that's not what the master does. So just to put into your brain, we'll get to it in just a moment. Um, does the master have any expectations? Yes. <laughs> right? The master has expectations. The master has expectations. And we've said master is God, which means God has expectations. Right? Um, and so, you know, there's this, there's this romantic kind of notion of uh, following God spontaneously and just going, man, I just think, God, what do you want me to do today, you know? Um, God has expectations. Maybe the question is, God, what do you expect me to do? Right? Oh, what expectations do you have? What are you expecting me to reach? Right? And maybe we need, maybe we need clarity on that. How are we doing? Doing okay? Any other, any other thoughts? Any other questions? And then we'll dive into it and we'll have a good time. If not, that's cool. Sure. Yeah, so the master gave according to the ability, meaning if the master gave the guy with the one talent one talent, he had the ability to do something with it, right? Which, which then ties into um, you can have the ability to do a thing and yet not do the thing, right? Yeah. Okay, any questions before we get into this? No, you're good. You want to dive in. Okay. All right, let's do that. So here's what we'll do. We'll jump through this, the text because the text is mainly a story and then we'll make, some, we'll make some observations along the way and then some concluding thoughts and uh, you'll get out of here on time. How's that sound? Good? All right. So he says, again, it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and we've already established who the servants are. Who are the servants, right? Um, professing, is that how you spell professing? No? It is now. All right. Um, professing, is that how you spell professing? All right. Professing Christians um, who called his servant. Now, there's two things I want to highlight right here. If you have a Bible, you can probably highlight this, or if you're taking notes, you want to highlight this. Who called and entrusted, who called and entrusted. He called his servants 
and he entrusted his wealth to them. So when we go to the next slide and we see the next, in the next verse um, that he's going to give them talents, right? Your translations might say bags of gold, right? Or bags of wealth. All those translations are correct. And so talents, I know a lot of times the application of this parable has to do with giftings, right? Because we take the word talents and we think, talents, I have the gifting to do this, I have the ability to, right? And it can be applied like that, and we'll get into that at the conclusion of this and the different applications of this text. But I want you to know that the parable is dealing with wealth. There's a master... And unlike the guy with the one parable who sees this master as somebody who's harsh, who's hard, right? This master, I would say, is quite generous. He calls three servants and he says, here, take some of my wealth. Go on a trip, take some of my wealth, do something with it, right? I would call that generous. I wouldn't call that hard. I wouldn't say that that's a man to be afraid of. I would say that's a man to enjoy, I enjoy working for this master because he actually trusts me. Notice, with his wealth. Right? So he's not saying to the servants, hey, what do you have? What do you got on you? You know, what's in your pockets? I'm going to change. How much money do you got in your wallet? Hey, I'm going on this trip. Why don't you do something with the money you got? Because you earned it from me anyway. So know, he goes, I'm going to give you some of my wealth. So the master leaves with them a piece of him right? It's his wealth. And he says, to one he gave um, five, to another two, and then to another one. Now, again, like it's been highlighted, he gave according each to his ability. Each to his ability. Now, um, this, is, this is an interesting thing, right? When we talk about, we talk about ability, um, we have to understand, we can, we can, we can apply this word in, in a few different ways. We could say um, what they can handle, yeah. right? Their capacity, yeah. right? How many know uh, you have a certain amount of capacity to do things? Other people might have more than you or less than you. Sometimes you can look at somebody's life and uh, they talk about how crazy life is. Meanwhile, their life only consists of three things. And you're going, whoa, like, you know, I would trade my plate for that plate any day. But yet, that's a lot for them, and it's not a lot for you. And there's other people where you, you feel like you're juggling like five, seven different things, and you talk to somebody else, and they're peaceful, they're living life, they're enjoying life, and yet their life is a hundred times busier than you, and they're making crazy decisions. You go, whoa, how do you have the capacity to do, to do that? And so capacity can grow. Hello? Capacity can grow, but we all have different capacities. We all have different things that we can handle. There's, there's, we all have different pressures that we can hold up. And the weight that kind of brings us down, it all differs, right? It all, it all differs. And so according to his ability has to do with, okay, what can this person handle? Um, or what can they faithfully manage? What can they faithfully, what can they faithfully manage? Uh, how many know that um, if I gave you, you know, 10 jobs to do, hey, these are 10 things I want you to do this week, I'll be back at the end of the week, and you gotta have those 10 things done. If you only have the ability to do five, okay, you can get those 10 things done. Can you, right? You can get those 10 things done, but how many know you would have done them subpar? Yeah. Meaning, you don't have the ability to faithfully do those things. You might only have the, the ability to faithfully do five things. And doing, doing something faithfully, I think, has to do with doing them well. That they're given proper attention and effort to. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever had this where um, 
Like growing up in my house, like, you know, your mom would tell you to clean and I don't know, in your house, my house, it was always Saturday. Saturdays was the cleaning, you know, it was, it was house cleaning day every week. Saturday, we knew we're, we're getting up. Uh, if I get up early enough before my mom wakes up, I can catch some Saturday morning cartoons. How many are old, you know, you remember Saturday morning cartoons? You know what I'm talking about? They don't, they don't make cartoons like that anymore. But so if I, if I woke up early enough, I could get up early before my mom watched some Saturday morning cartoons before she would get up and then begin to tell us what needs to be cleaned. You know what I mean? Um, and then there were other moments where uh, she was at work or whatever, and she would, she would say, hey, when you get home from school, can you make sure to clean X, Y, and Z? And then she would come home. And she would always find something that wasn't cleaned to her standard. You know what I mean? Like, I looked at it, and I go, man, that's clean. And she looks, like, she looks at it, and she goes, no, 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 it's not clean enough. Right? Um, and so that's, that's important, right? When we, when we do something faithfully, um, I think it's, it's the ability to do it with your whole heart, with excellence, to give it your whole effort, right? Not the kind of effort that I gave it, because I was just like, I just want to get back to watching cartoons and playing video games when I was a you know, kid. It's like, all right, let me just do this as quickly as possible, not faithfully. Um, and so God hasn't called us to a life of, you know, quick obedience in the sense that, yeah, let me just get this over with. He's actually called us to a life of faithful obedience um, where we don't just do things for God to get them done with. We do things for God because that's the life he's called us to do, called us to live. Does that make sense? And so that's what ability can mean. It can mean those things. How are we doing so far? Right? And then the master goes on a journey. The master goes on a journey. By the way, this tells me, right, that he, the master, is incredibly trusting. Here's my property, here's my wealth, here's my gold. I'll see you guys in a while. Incredibly trusting. Right? Let's continue. Um, the man who received five bags of gold, now watch this, so he's received the most, right? Which means uh, that he has the most ability. He has the ability to reproduce, he has the ability to manage, to be faithful. So the one with the most bags, which is five bags of gold, or five talents, your translation might say, notice, went at once. So, so he didn't sit with the he didn't sit with the bag of gold and ponder. Hmm, it's a lot of gold. You know, maybe I can run away. Um, you know what I mean? Um, have you ever overthought yourself into trouble? You know what I mean? Like, it's good to give things thought because there's wisdom in giving things thought. How many know? Sometimes you can overthink some things and then you get in trouble, eh? What I love about that is he goes at once. In other words, so remember, we're talking about Jesus preparing his disciples for his return. What we see here is this sense of urgency. My, my master has given me something of his. Let me go do something with it. Right now, remember last week we looked at the talents of the ten, uh, the, uh, the parable of the ten um, virgins, and it says the bridegroom was delayed, and those with no no oil for their lamps they just sat there, no urgency, no worry, no concern. And when he comes back, they're like, "Hey, can we borrow your oil?" And they're like, "No, you can't, right? Because you can't borrow faith. Can't borrow faith." And so, even here, you see this sense of urgency. Hey, I'm not just going to sit around waiting for him to come back. I'm actually going to be faithful. Because, remember, at the start of it, he has called me and he has entrusted me. So don't, don't forget that, okay? He's called me, he's entrusted me. So the one with the five bags goes at once, puts his money to work. I love that. He puts his money to work. And what does that do? The outcome of that, he gains five bags more, right? 
And so he has made five bags more. What does the guy with the two bags of gold do? He gained two more. But, someone say but, the one with the least, the one with the one bag, he goes off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. So in his head, he goes, you know, if the master gave me this money, I don't want to lose this money. All right? Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide this money. Now watch what happens because the master gave to each according to his ability. So this man with the one, okay, he has... false beliefs. Okay? He has false beliefs. What are false beliefs? Things you believe that are false. (laughs) Things you believe about yourself, about the world, about God, that are not true. Um, Most of the times when I have meetings with individuals who come into my office and they they are dealing with issues in their life and problems with their life, um, probably 99% of these individuals can solve their problems by fixing the false beliefs that exist. And a lot of times the work that I have to do in those meetings is remove some of the bad theology that they have ascribed to and a false narrative that they believe And you have to then, I have to now introduce good theology, true theology, and a narrative that is actually realistic and true. And that's when they have the aha moments, right? So this individual has false beliefs. Now, remember we said the master gave each according to his ability. Okay, now we're gonna talk about the false beliefs. Let me give you a hint. There are two. Okay, in this verse, can you see his first false belief? Okay. What's that? Who his master was. So that's the second belief. We're going to get to that. In this verse, remember, he gives according to his ability. And he hides it. So what is the false belief that exists here? That he doesn't have the ability. Right? That's false belief number one. What the master has called me to do and what the master has entrusted me with, I don't have the ability to do it. That's false belief number one. Right? And so you and I, okay, we don't only have to wrestle with him, we're going to get to it because his second false belief is what he believed about the master. You and I don't only deal with false beliefs about God, we deal with false beliefs about ourselves. Right? And so there are things that God has called us to, there are things that God has entrusted us with, but if, if we don't see ourselves the way he sees us, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to live a timid and fearful life, and we're going to live a disobedient life. We're going, we're going to play it safe and we're going to think we're doing the right thing and yet we're actually being unfaithful and disobedient to what he's called us to and what he's entrusted us with because of this false belief. Does that make sense? Now, even if you begin to examine your life, now this might not be true for everyone because we're at different places in our journey. Even if you begin to examine your life, I'm sure there was a moment uh, in your life where you, you just had to take a step of faith because God was calling you to something clear and maybe you had to pivot, change direction. Maybe it was a new season where you had to believe something about yourself you previously didn't. And you had to allow yourself to see yourself in light of who God is. And you were able to take that step of faith. But until that moment, you were what? Fearful? You were doubtful? You you had all the what if questions, right? Can I do this? Am I capable? Do I have the ability? And yet what the master would say to us is, um, hey, I have better insight into you than you do. And you know what's beautiful about that? 
When other people say that to you, you can't really take them at 100% because people have blind spots. You know, there's people who, you know there's people who are really good at reading people? Yeah, even they have blind spots. And so even they, when they say, hey, you know, I, I, th- I think this is what I see about you, they can be wrong. But when the master says, hey, you have this ability and so I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna entrust you, we can be 100% confident that what he sees is greater and more true than what we see. How good is that? Right? We can, we can trust him. So that's false belief number one. We're going to get to false belief number two in just a little while. So what happens? Does the master come back? He comes back. Notice, after a long time. Right? And so don't get weary between now and the time of my return. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't get disheartened. It's going to be a long time. There's going to be a delay. But you can still be faithful. You can still be ready. You can still do oh, something with what I've called you to do and what I've entrusted you with. So after a long time, the master of those servants came. Now notice this. Why did he come back? To settle accounts with them. So remember, he gives them according to their ability. He has an expectation that they're going to do something with it. And he comes back to see what they did. He comes back to settle accounts with them. Now, 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 could you imagine? I'm sure the one with the five talents feels great because he multiplied it. I'm sure the one with the two talents feels great because he also multiplied it. But the one with the one, how do you think he felt? See, I think he actually felt good. I think, I don't think he was worried when the master came back to settle his accounts. I think he couldn't wait to get the shovel and to dig up the gold that he buried. Because in his head, he goes, man, I kept this thing safe. Right? And so it's kind of like, remember, in this, whole, in this whole narrative, in this whole last scene where Jesus is preparing his disciples, remember he talks about, many will say to me, yeah. right, what are they going to come? They're going to come with joy. They're going to go, man, we did these things for you. We kept what you gave us safe. He goes, yeah, actually, I, I, I never knew you. And so I think the one with the one was just as excited as the one with the five and the two who multiplied it. Because in his head, he, he did what was, what was right. Now we're going to get to what he thought was right was actually wrong. And that's called deception. So remember, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the last days. And we know in Matthew 24 and even at the beginning of Matthew 25, he talks about the increase of deception. Many are going to be deceived. One of the things they're going to be deceived on is how God works and how God functions, right? Now, we live in, a, we live in an age where uh, people are, man, they, they are twisting scriptures. They are taking what is a traditional doctrine that has been taught throughout the centuries of church history that has been faithful to the words of scripture, and they're turning it into something it's not. Uh, Pastor Tony and I just did a podcast on de- about the deconstruction of faith. And if you've been on social media, you know, in these past, this past couple of months, or even in the past couple of years, you're going to you've seen the increase of people coming, coming out of Christianity saying, hey, I'm deconstructing my faith, right? Um, ex-pastors, ex-worship leaders, ex-churchgoers saying, man, I've deconstructed this thing. I've actually figured it out. I've been lied to this whole time, right? And a lot of things that, a lot of things that are in common about them is, this is something I find interesting, and I don't know if you will. Um, they don't stop believing in God. How they see God changes. And what happens is what, Timothy, what Paul warned Timothy about in his letter to him about the end days, that there's going to be an increase of false doctrine. Uh, that it doesn't mean that when the days get darker, it doesn't mean people are going to become atheists. It doesn't mean people are going to stop believing in God. It can also mean that people are going to hold the wrong ideas about God. And that's just as dark, if not worse, because that creates room for deception. Right? And so a lot of these people, what they do is, hey, for comfort's sake, yeah, I still believe in God, but what I believe about God changes. It's no longer informed by scripture. 
it's informed by my feelings, my experiences, right? And what I think God is like. And as we're going to find out, what we think God is like is a shaky foundation because he thought the master was like something the master was not. Okay, so the man who received five brought gold, brought the other five. He says, Master, you notice the language. He doesn't forget that this whole time the master has entrusted him with this. It starts with, hey, I'm calling you and I'm entrusting you with this. And the guy with the five goes, hey, this is what you entrusted me with? What does that mean? You don't forget. You do not forget that this whole time between between now and the coming of Jesus, God has actually entrusted us with what he's given us. Hey, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. What's the master's response? Master says, hey, well done. Notice, good and faithful servant. We're gonna come back to those things. You have been faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness, or your translation might say joy. Come and share in your master's happiness and in your joy. Now, do we know exactly what this means? Come and share in your master's joy. Well, we can look at some other scriptures where Jesus talks about, hey, I have gone to prepare a place for you, right? We can look at other scriptures where Jesus says, hey, at the end of it, if you have been faithful, uh, then you're actually going to rule and reign with me, right? And so the joy of the master is actually, watch this, watch this, it's actually greater responsibility, So remember, this has to do with Jesus' return. It has to do with the end of one age and the beginning of the other, right? And so, you know, large picture, um, heaven and earth pass away, new heaven, new, new earth, right? And we're not just gonna sit around on clouds and play harps, right? Um, we're actually gonna live lives where Jesus is gonna be king. And he's going to give us responsibility. We're going to rule and reign with him. So the joy of the master actually involves greater responsibility. And guess what? That's your joy as well. Because what, watch what's multiplied, okay? What's multiplied is not only the talents and the golds and the wealth. What's also multiplied is the master's ability to trust the servant. Because you've been faithful with the few, I'm actually going to give you more things to be in charge of. My trust has grown. How good is that? Right? And so, let's continue. Uh, the man with the two bags of gold came. He said, Master, you entrusted me. So again, same language. He hasn't forgotten that this whole thing started with the master entrusting him. He said, look, I've gained two bags more. And the master says to him, well done. Again, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Same thing here again. Come share in your master's joy, in your master's happiness. And then there's the one with the one bag of gold. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. Wow, that's a rough start, man. Um, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So remember we talked about false beliefs? False belief number two. False belief number two. He assumed something about the master. And I think a lot of people on that day are going to be in trouble because they assumed rather than read. Rather than opening the Bible for themselves, they just assumed. And that's actually going to get them in trouble. All right? And so how good is it that our God has actually been plain and clear with us? That we, we don't actually have to assume and so he assumed something about his master. I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So therefore, 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 right? In other words, because of my belief about you, 
because of what I believed about you, I lived in this way. Say that again. Because of what I believed about you, I lived in this way. In other words, how you live for God is directly related to how you see God. Whether you live faithfully or unfaithfully, whether you live obedient or disobedient, how you live for God is directly related to how you see him. Directly related. So he says, um, because of my belief for you, I did this. I was afraid. I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, before we get to see here is what belongs to you, let's just focus on this. I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. Now, remember we talked about the expectation of the master? What's the expectation of the master? That they grow it. They do something with it, right? In other words, follow the train of thought, okay? What he is saying, the way I saw you caused me to be disobedient. The way I saw you caused me to actually not meet your expectations. And that's how we know it's a false belief. Because when we see God in light of who he is, it's not going to move us into a life of disobedience. It's actually going to move us into a life of obedience. Our right theology actually creates good behavior, good living. Right? Does that make sense? Now, here's an interesting thing. He says... um, He says, see, here is what belongs to you, right? Here's what belongs to you, God. Now, we do this, we do this, we do this. Sometimes um, we're all guilty of doing this. We say things like, okay, God, my life is yours. Uh, Maybe you've you've had a moment where you've stumbled or uh, you were disobedient or, you know, you fell short and you go and you repent. What, What are things, the language you use surrounding that, right? Okay, God, from now on, my life is yours, my heart is, right? You go, you go, I belong to you, God. Yeah. Right? In other words, here, God, have what belongs to you. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? Lord, you can have my life. Right? Um, but the question isn't, the question isn't, does, does the Lord have your life? That's not the question. Um, the question is, what kind of life are you giving to the Lord? Because this individual, and we're done, gives back to the master what belongs to him. Hey, this is yours, have it back. God, you gave me my life, have it. Great, what does that look like? What does that look like? Does it look like burying the talent in the ground and waiting for his return? In other words, let me live as safe of a life I can possibly live. Let me just live safe. I don't have to risk anything for God. I don't have to step out in faith, in obedience. I don't have to worry about how the world might see me, how others might see. I don't have to worry about any of that. God, here's your life. Here's my life. You can have it. Yeah, but what kind of life? See, that, that's, that's the question. And we, and we are so guilty of saying things like, God, I give you my life. God, uh, I give you my life, God. And God goes, man, um, have you forgotten Have you forgotten that I'm the one who created you? Your life belonged to me before you even gave it to me. And so I'm not interested in you saying, hey God, my life is yours. No, what I'm interested in is are you going to live a faithful and obedient life? Are you you going to do something with what I have entrusted to you? Are you going to live life believing the master has called me? 
He's entrusted me. I can't just sit around waiting for things to happen. I gotta hear his voice. I gotta listen to what he wants me to do. I gotta step out in faith. I gotta take a risk. I gotta live for him. See, here's what belongs to you. But his master, his master answered, um, you wicked and lazy servant. And so then here's what the master does, okay? The master, the master, he follows the train of thought of the servant. He goes, he asks him a question. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather, uh, and gather where I have not scattered seed? He's asking him a question. So this is your thinking? So he says, well then, in other words, if that's the case, if your line of thinking is correct, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest, meaning even if there was little growth. You have to multiply it. You have to double it. Man, if you just took one risk for me, if you stepped out at least once obeying me, if there was just even little growth to what I gave you, I would have been happy. So what happens next? He says, take the bag of gold uh, from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. So the one with the most gets from the one with the least. And you go, that doesn't make sense. Why not, why not divide it evenly? Right? Why not divide it evenly? And God said, no, no, no. Um, the one with the 10, because he's been faithful, I can trust him with more because his capacity has grown, his faithfulness has grown, his obedience has grown. And so I'm actually going to give it to the one who produced the most. And then he explains, he explains. Um, here's what this means, here's why. Because at the end, when I come back, right? When I come back, uh, whoever has been given more, they're, they're going to have an abundance. So watch this. They're not just going to have what they were able to multiply and grow. They're going to have an abundance on top of that. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And so then that's his explanation. He gives one verse of an explanation. He continues back into the parable. Verse 30, he says, and throw that worthless servant. Now, this is interesting language. This, this means that burying what God has given you, burying the talent, burying the gold, burying the wealth, burying what he has called you to and what he has entrusted you with, burying it, all right, means that you were of no good to God. That's what it means to be worthless. When he calls him worthless servant, he's saying he was of no benefit. He was of no value. He, he was of no good to me. Hello? I know, we, I know we talk a lot about God's goodness. Um, but on that day, God wants to talk about your goodness. Have you been a good and faithful servant? That's what God wants to talk about. See, this whole parable is actually about about the believer's judgment. It's not about the world's judgment. The world's not going to get judged based on the ability and the talents given to them and the gold given to them, what God has called them and entrusted them. I don't know, the world, God has not called the world and entrusted the world, church. God has called you. God has entrusted you. This is the believer's judgment. Because we've been cleansed. We, we don't, we're not going to stand before the judgment seat and pay for our sin. We're going to pay for our unfaithfulness. 
We're not gonna give an account for our sin because our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Covered by the blood of Jesus. Right? Now, there, there's nuances to what, what I'm saying. Right? In other words, when I say your, your sin's not gonna matter at that point, it, that, that means if you have truly, faithfully given your heart, given your life to Jesus, right? And you've been set free from the power of sin, Romans 6, Romans 7. So that's, don't take that as a license to sin. I know when I say stuff like that, they, sometimes they can just, all right, I can live however I want. No, no, that's not the case. Um, God, will, God will ask us, hey, what, what did you do with what I called you to and what I entrusted you with? What did you do with what I called you to and what I entrusted you with? Now watch this. This is the believer's judgment, okay? Jesus is saying, so remember this is about professing Christians, meaning there's a difference between professing Christians and genuine Christians. He would say that on that day, those who were simply professing, they were simply professing, they didn't live a life of faithfulness and obedience. Um, they're going to be cast outside. Outside of what? Okay, now, now remember, he says to the other two servants to enter a place. Doesn't he? What's the place? The joy of your enter, enter, the joy of the master. Enter the joy. So if they're going to be thrown outside, guess where they are? Outside of the joy. Okay, now watch this. The Old Testament tells us that in his presence there is fullness of meaning they're cast out from his presence. Right? They're cast out into his presence. Notice, into Darkness. Now, again, I can get into Revelations, which tells us that wherever God is, there's going to be light. And the source of that light is the Son of God. So again, if they're in, in, in outer darkness, it means they're cast out from the presence where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a repeated phrase in the Bible. If you have time, go study it. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, how you doing? <laughs> right? And so Jesus is saying to us, to you and I today, just as we close here, um, each one of you is called and entrusted. I have called you and I have entrusted you. Everyone. And I want you to know it's connected. If you're called, you're entrusted. God trusts you with your calling. All right? Now watch this. Um, I want you to know that it's, it's an act of grace. Okay? And we're, we're almost done. We're doing so good for time. Like 15 minutes earlier. Wow. Um, it's, it's all a gift. Even though the master gives to the servants according to their ability, he gives them something of his. Not because they asked of it. He gave them something of his. That's grace. That's, that's a gift. Meaning the calling that God entrusts us with is also a gift. And it's a gift that he expects us to do something with. Right? It's not a gift that he expects us to put on a bookshelf um, for guests to see when they come and then you can show it off and say, look at this. <laughs> look at my gift. Uh, no, it's, it's for you to actually live faithfully. Um, and then we see that there's this period of waiting. So just let me give you a breakdown of, of the parable just as we conclude. At the start, we see that there's a distribution. Right? calling and trusting it's a gift according to each as according to their ability then there's this period of waiting there's this delay right and man you and I think we can get away with things in the delay 
We go, yeah, I'll leave me. He's not back yet. Right? What, what else can I get away with? It's, it's just, it's, that's human nature. That's our flesh. And yet the call into the kingdom of God, the call into the Holy Spirit is to look at that period of waiting, not as a delay, but as an opportunity to invest, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to expand what he has given you, to do something with it. And then, and then after the delay, when he comes back, you notice there's an assessment. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do in the period of waiting? And within the assessment, there is reward and there is retribution. And then after that, there's redistribution. So this whole thing starts with distribution. And then God redistributes. He takes from those who have been unfaithful and he gives to those who have been faithful. All right? Now, the life that God gives you, the life that God gifts you, I want you to know it's both natural and it's both spiritual. It's natural and it's spiritual. It's natural and it's spiritual. It's natural and it's spiritual and God expects you to do something with both. God expects you to do something with the natural life that he's given you and gifted you and God expects you to do something with the spiritual life he's given you and gifted you. Right? And so we're not all wired the same. How many have figured that out? Yeah. And, and I think that is just an opportunity to serve God differently in different ways, but to serve him faithfully. And the last thing I want to emphasize here is um, you notice that he calls the two who've done something with what was given to them, he calls them good and faithful. And then the other ones, the other one he calls lazy and wicked. Good and faithful, not just faithful, good and faithful. And then he says, the other one's wicked and lazy. So he wasn't faithful, he was lazy. He wasn't good, he was wicked. So guess what? God doesn't just expect us to be faithful, God expects us to be good. To produce good from our lives. My question would be, well, how much good are you producing? How much good are you producing with what he has given you? What he has given you, let me ask you, does it, is it buried? Are you doing nothing with it? Or sometimes what God gives us, we actually use it to serve ourselves and not to serve the master. Or my prayer is that God is moving and ushering you to actually live a good and faithful life for him with what he has given you. Yeah? Okay, final thing and I'm gonna pray, okay? Remember this whole thing has to do with money, All right? This whole thing has to do with money. Um, and I know in church we don't like to talk a lot about money right and that just that just might mean that just might reveal how big of an idol money is in your life if you don't like talking about it it doesn't mean it's not important to you (laughs) hello you know what I mean And so you can have a little bit of it or you can have a lot of it and it can still be an idol. It can still be an idol. And one of the things that I want to just propose before you tonight, and we'll close off in prayer, is um, how you're handling money right now. How you're handling money right now is a big indicator, a huge indicator whether or not you're actually living faithfully and obediently to God. How you handle your money. So a little bit of homework for you if you actually want to assess, man, am I living faithfully? Am I living obediently? Um, Check your visa statements. Um, Check where you have been spending your money. Okay? 
And then in that, um, also check where you're not spending money. Where should you be spending it and you're not? Where shouldn't you be spending it and you are? And I promise you, you sort that out, your relationship with God will get better. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. Right? Um, you know, in, in the entire entirety of the Gospels, okay, um, Jesus only brings up one other idol that rivals God, and it's money. So he says, you can't serve money and mammon. Mammon at that time was a god, a demigod of money, of success, prosperity. And he goes, yeah, you can't serve both at the same time. So if you defeat that, you're going to actually produce greater fruit in your relationship with God. I know. You're like, money, really? Yeah. Absolutely. God says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? <laughs> so that's a little bit of homework for you. And for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these moments. How we cherish them. To be in your presence, to be with your people, and to be in your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have taught us. You have exposed our hearts even to ourselves. And we thank you that that is a good thing. That is a good thing. So Father, we just ask that you would help us deal with our hearts. That we don't neglect the issues of our soul. God, move us, persuade us, and usher us into a life of faithfulness, a life of obedience, so that we are actually ready for your return, ready to enter the joy of our master. Let that be our joy. Bless your people, Lord, as they leave. In Jesus' name, amen.